This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Warren Friends Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Warren School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Our guest consists of experts like the world's leading authority on long-term economic growth, Bob Gordon. We will continue to see jobs created rather than destroyed. Former chair of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. I mean, I don't think either of us ever expected that we would live through a financial crisis. Or even the head of the digital industry. Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, Global Head of Research at Wisdom Tree. My co-host is Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks for the Long Run and the Future for Investors. Professor has a very love and passion for monetary policy, and we have a great guest in the studio with us, joining us for the hour, Loretta Mester, who's the president of Cleveland uh, Federal Reserve Bank, coming from Philadelphia, Loretta. Thank you for coming to our studio. Thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to the discussion. Please note, I'm registered representative of Foresight Fund Services. Professor C was a senior advisor at Wisdom Tree. Discussion is not tied to the offer of selling investment products. And these are guests or their own, and not those of Wisdom Church affiliates. Wow. Um, and I'm glad we have you for the whole hour because there's so much to discuss. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, Loretta, um, from, let's say, a couple minutes before the 2 o'clock uh, statement came out on Thursday, in the next 24 hours, uh, the Dow Jones sank 1,400 points, um, which is a little more than 6%. And I went back and I couldn't find any other uh, response that was that bad after a Fed meeting. So I'm not blaming you for this, but let's let's reflect on this. Um, I let me tell you honestly. I saw the statement and I said the market is not going to like this. Um, I I thought it was hawkish. I thought it was not cognizant of what the markets were saying, um, although I definitely recognize and and I have some sympathy for the fact that the real debt in the U.S. is still looking pretty good, and and that's what you look at. Um, But the markets and international are not looking so good. Um, So I'm just going to sort of ask you for to reflect a little bit on this very bad market reaction and um, whether whether you thought it was the right statement or not. Okay, so I won't reflect on the market reaction because the markets have been volatile over the past you know, couple of months, I would say. I can talk about sort of what I see in the economy and, and where the Fed policy statement was in context. So, of course, as you know, we did raise the Fed funds rate by 25 basis points. But we also tried to indicate in the statement that we are looking at global conditions, global economic conditions, and financial market developments. And those are very much relevant to our economy and how we're going to place monetary policy. So we do take into account the data, as you pointed out. Um, And you're right, if you look at the economic data, the economy is doing quite well. Very strong growth, above trend growth, uh, unemployment rate at 50-year almost lows, very good job growth. 
um, and inflation near our 2% target. So that side of, you know, if you look at the data and, and, and where the economy is right now, it's a strong economy. You're right, there's been a turn in sentiment, investor sentiment for sure, but also some business sentiment, um, partly reflective, I think, of global developments. You know, the global outlook has um, softened somewhat. Um, we have uncertainty around trade and um, tariff policies. Um, we have some uncertainty around um, European and Chinese growth. So I think altogether, you know, we have bo- both the modal forecast, which in the Fed's view, as you know, mar- we marked it down a little bit for next year, but still above trend growth. Um, but we also look at the other data, and some of that is the sentiment data. Um, and so we're going to be looking at that going forward. I see actually a tenth higher on that longer-term growth, right? One eight to one nine on long-term GDP growth. Well, I mean, next if you look at next year's growth, right? We went oh, you're talking down. next year yeah. down, but yeah, I'm just talking did. about what you think is you right. said long-term sustainable data, right? Dear. right. And, so, uh, and also a one tenth drop in that unemployment rate, right? Right. Um, I mean, that's certainly part of what I'm, you know, looking at. Do, so, you, do know, you think this is still too high? Uh, I mean... I think we have to look at how the data is informing us, so right? This, so, again, right now, right, I think that's not a bad... That's the median across um, estimates. But I think, you know, as we see inflation not really moving up yeah. um, aggressively, then those numbers have come down. They, so I certainly... Bit, a little bit. I yeah, mean, but even over time, if you look back, over the as last well as that, years, our star real down. rate has come and down. The, yeah. I want to talk about that later, mm-hmm. but I'm just sort of getting to the fact that you know the, the natural rate, that long-term mm-hmm. rate that is so important in terms of you know saying the economy is running too hot right. um, with our unemployment rate, you know, three seven right now, and very little right. wage inflation. Mm-hmm. May, uh, the, 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 there is a question about how hot are we running? No, right that's now. A, and it's a legitimate question, and that's certainly something that policymakers are are grappling with. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do hear, and we do a lot of, especially at the reserve banks, talking to our business contacts um, and a whole swath of, of of contacts in the district, including labor, you know, people who mm-hmm. do labor market contacts, community development organizations, and they all have been citing tight labor markets and the difficulty of finding workers. But the jolts data is right, really exactly. tight. Exactly. Uh, we have had some some rise in hourly wages right. and the CI, the Employment Cost right. Index and others, although we have to remember, and I think the Fed has been careful about that, there also has been a little bit of a bump in productivity growth. Yes. So some of that is not inflationary as exactly. long as that wage rate growth is. That's uh, exactly right. And so that's where we're grappling, right? So, you know, the productivity growth numbers have moved up a little bit. But yes. you know that quarterly productivity growth is, is quite volatile. Yeah. So I wouldn't necessarily declare that we've seen, you know, strong productivity growth. So that's one of the issues, right? How far can we push, you know, labor markets and so they're not inflationary? We all want wage growth to go mm-hmm, up, mm-hmm. right? That would be very desirable. But you have to figure that in, in into one of the data points you look at in terms of developments in the inflation market. So I think what we're, we've been trying to do is balance both sides of our mandate. You know, we want the expansion to continue. We think the, the uh, growth that we've had this year has been quite strong. Um, we think the economy underlying fundamentals are quite good. But at the same time, I certainly... Um, 
take a look at what's going on in the financial markets and 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 question: Are they trying to tell us something about economic fundamentals? Right. So we've had so uh, President Bullard on the program, and he seems to be one very like when we talked about he's the lowest dot on the dots, and he thinks yeah. that there's this regime-based analysis, and you've got to look at it, and he looks at market expectation. It seems like a lot. So he talked about the tips yields right. plummeting and being a very good low of inflation expectations. Any, how do you think about markets as an input to policy? And he's also very worried. As I, and I, I know it's something you guys look at all the time, is inversion of the curve or potential right. inversion of the curve. He said, I remember on our program, he said, I think I was fooled twice. He was looking historically where uh, we got a staff presentation. Oh, don't worry this time about it. And he said, I should have. Uh, he said, I'm not going to be fooled again. <laughs> uh, maybe you've heard it. I'm sure you have. You sit in on the meeting. But uh, it's getting pretty flat. Um, what is what is the 10-year telling us? Okay, uh, so let me go back to the market expectations about inflation because I think that's something that, you know, we have survey measures and then we have the ones that are derived from the market and different people put different, you know, emphasize which one. I, I'm always a little bit cautious of the market-driven expectations in times when the markets are moving are very volatile because, like, you know, that those things can be affected by flights to quality flows and other kinds of sentiment um, based um, indicators that aren't really reflective mm -hmm. of inflation expectations. So in my view, I view the inflation expectation measures, especially when you look at the survey measures, as being quite stable. So I'm, I'm happy with Although where they've gone down in the market base. But they have moved down a little bit yeah. in the market base, and that certainly will take that on board as we go forward. But I'm always a little bit cautious in times of turbulent markets to infer too much. From, this from is what that, makes a market. Measures. You've got the FOMC market, you've got Loretta and Bullard. <laughs> On the other hand, um, you know, we, we, we don't throw any piece of data out. So it's certainly something that we're going to be looking at going forward. And I certainly look at a, a, a whole range of indicators, and that's certainly something I'm going to be looking at. In terms of um, how do we incorporate the, the yield curve, of course, as you know, Jeremy, there's reasons to think that the term premium is lower now than it was in the yes, past. Yes, and I've actually been lecturing on that a long time. Right. In, in periods of low inflation and more stable inflation, the premium should be down. Right. In fact, from 1950 through 1970 or six, late 60s, I think we had an average 90-day, 10-year of around 75 basis points right. when it went way up. So we're right. we're now below that, although for a right. long time we were just about at right. that So, that so the way I think about there. this is, okay, I don't want to throw away that indicator. The inversion of the yield curve has been, as you said, a rely, you know, pretty, pretty yeah. good indicator. However, I think in a time when the term premiums are low for structural reasons, not because of expectations about the real economy, you may need more of an inversion to have the same signal that you would have had in the past. In other words, zero may not be the right way of thinking about right that inversion. And so again, I want to look at that, but I don't think that's going to drive me necessarily to think that it's causal. And I think that's the piece that's missing. In the past when it's inverted, why did it invert? It inverted because, right, we got behind on our inflation mandate. Inflation was going up too much. The Fed had to raise the short rate more, mm -hmm. right? And so that then created this inverted yield curve and the economy then 
was not robust. So again, right, the lesson to me that's is interesting. You actually blame the behind. Fed for being behind for some of the inversion. I think that was what because part I of think it actually was. some of the inversion is a natural part of of, 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 of even a real business. But when cycle we then, theory. but when you went go into the recession afterwards, right, you could argue that we were too late. Right. We should have been a little more preemptive. And if you look at soft landings, right, the the characteristics of soft landings are the Fed has been preemptive and we've had good luck, Mm. you know, positive shock. So, again, I don't think anyone is naive enough to think that soft landings are going to be are easy to achieve. But we're trying to do the best we can with the policy. Have have we we ever achieved one? Yeah, I think we have. I think in the 90s, 5, 94. I mean, I think we we had a 10 year expansion from 90 to 2000. You know, so that was the end of the Greenspan era. He let yeah. it ride for a while. Yeah. It ended. It, it ended in a tech bubble, but it it ended in the mildest recession that we ever right. had. Right. So I think we can't. I, mean, know, I, there I are guess examples. you would call a mild recession a soft landing. Is that about the no, best we could do? I, no, well, but I no. But I've never got unemployment right. rate as low as now without following with a recession. Have we ever smoothed to that 4.4 or whatever you think is that I think that's. I think. Have we, we ever done that? We have not been at the level of unemployment that we're currently in. Right. For so about from this level, years. well, for. Right. You, but you, know, you, you have to take on board that we haven't seen inflation move up aggressively. So yeah. there are structural things going on. And so that's the balancing act. Let, let, me, let me ask you about the statement because. You know, that's an important piece and always has been document from the Fed. Um, You you know, everyone hangs on every word. So words are really important. Um, A couple of words I want to ask you about and then a little bit about how how you you decide that. Uh, People have commented about the change from expects to judges. Now, I I can picture the arguments in the FOMC. I wish I had a microphone in there. But um, uh, and then the judges was also later the committee Mm -hmm. judges that. Uh, How did how do you interpret the change in that word? And what meaning do you think the did the the FOMC want to relay with that? Well, let's just look at the whole statement rather than picking word by word. Well, I'm thinking these are the changes from, so almost 95% is the same as the previous one. So what I did was just look at the changes and and particularly this expects became judges. And some people said that's a more mild, so, and, and then the, in, the uh, interjection of the word some right. further gradual right. increases. I think we're in a new, you know, earlier when, think about, you know, middle, right. early last year, right? Economy was growing strongly, unemployment rate very low, employment growth very strong, inflation moving up to 2%. And the Fed funds rate um, well below estimates of of the normal rate, right? It was pretty clear that it was time to move the interest rate up. And so that's what we've been doing. Now we're getting closer to normal interest rates, right? If you look at the range of the longer run interest rate in the Fed funds path in the in the SEPs, which is a survey of economic projections, we're at the bottom range of that. This statement was conveys the fact that, look, we're getting closer to normal interest rates. We are now going to be walking back forward guidance because we really are dependent on how the economy evolves and how that evolution affects our outlook. And we're going to be setting policy based on right the outlook and the risks around the Jay outlook. Powell and that's what this is about. Jay Powell said we're at the low end. Now, let, let's review that that long term. Our star is the after inflation short term real rate, um, and 
the FOMC lowered it from three to two and three quarters. Right. right. Um, well, that's the that, median. Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah that, that would forecast. be one to, to two quarter. So right now, we, although I'm going to, we raised the interest on reserves to, to 240, right? That's the new interest rate on, on reserves. We have year over, even though the goal is 2%, we have sort of 1.9% let's say C CPI or PCE, okay. that's a half a percent. So so um, it's sort of half to one and a half. So we're right at that that bottom rate. Right. Um, uh, I remember, and, and it was interesting, uh, in, in people like John Williams and Lobach and, other, and Clarida were the ones who uh, several years ago did some of the pathbreaking work to say how much lower that rate is. Correct. And you know, back then, I, I remember when Clarita through Pimco and uh, Bill Gross wrote an investment letter called the New Neutral, and he said that our star is zero mm -hmm. back then. And Clarita was one, one of the person that actually supplied him with with a lot of that data. And I mean, at that point, the Fed was way up there, and and it's I think it was a little slow on coming down, but they did. Mm -hmm. You know, they have come down. Maybe I'm beginning to think maybe it is still zero and hasn't gone up to the one that it that's that seemingly the the Fed now thinks it is. I think they're hitting these barriers a little earlier than maybe you anticipate. Okay, so I think that's a good point. And I think I would characterize your point as there's a lot of uncertainty around estimates of the normal rate, which is all the more reason that we're in this regime now where I think, we have to really depend on what the economy is telling us about where we are. So again, like I'm going to assess the data and also the information I'm getting from my business contacts about where they are on what their planned expenditures are, how they're incorporating some of the uncertainties in the in the you know economic landscape, including trade policy and you know the effects of fiscal policy, et cetera, and use that to tell me, whether we need to move our interest rate in order to hit our dual mandate goals. So again, the economy is going to tell us. Yeah. Right? Well, I, I actually, it's not like we have this destination that we're aiming for. Really, our, our, our goal is to make sure that we're at and maintaining our dual mandate goals. And so the economy is going to be telling us that. Let me just reintroduce who we're talking to here today for people listening in the cars. Uh, we have President and CEO, Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland, uh, Loretta Mester here in the studio. We have Professor Siegel, Warren Professor. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. Um, and so it's interesting hearing the response to the market reactions and it's you know, Professor, you even said as Powell started walking back in his in his last speech when the market rejoiced at his seeming like we're gonna come to a pause, he said it's all really on Trump, it's all trade, it's not the Fed. Um, I it, mean, I okay, I, I from Powell's speech before the statement, um, I thought we were gonna get a, a stronger statement about a, a, a pause, and we are really going. It, we have finished the first round of increases, and now we are going to weigh the data coming in to see whether further rounds are indicated. I I, I thought there might be some language, like that may have been an intention, but without that language in there and only moving from three to two. Don't forget, the funds market moved from three to one or less, as you know. So you were. You know, you could be called behind the curve or whatever, but I thought, woo, this is, I, I, I had hoped for more. As soon as I saw this, I said, I, 
I had hoped for more. And uh, uh, I said, I think the market is going to really be disappointed in that. They think the Fed is is going to be too tight, although, uh, you know... But they I, say they're data-dependent, right? I, they so, are. I, so, like, the, what is the market confused about? They say all the time they follow things closely, and if the data goes bad, they will pause, right? So, like, part of it is it anticipations that they think that... I remember, and this is really... And I mentioned this because I was on CNBC yesterday um, talking about this. Um, and if you joined the Fed just about that time, it was late 2000, and... and it was a December meeting where people and the economy was beginning to slide, and um, uh, a, lot, a lot of people hoped in that December meeting the Fed would cut, at that, and they did not cut. There was one Fed president, which I don't remember his name, who said afterwards, he said, I think we should have cut in that one. And you guys met in January, right shortly afterwards, and did a double cut before the meeting. I mean, you said, yeah, things are... Do you remember that, Loretta? I mean, if I am I remembering properly, I don't I remember that. Okay, I, I, I thought. I mean, it was like, okay, guys, yeah, you know what? The economy slipped a lot more than we thought. The market was thinking in December, and it did. And you guys reacted. I mean, with a fifty basis point cut before the meeting, um, which sent up the market ten percent, like in in a, in a few hours, and it kind of calmed down. Well, but I mean, that is the fact. I said. They will respond if there is a lot of weakness. You don't even have to wait to the end of January, right? I mean, you could yeah, do yeah. anything you've yeah. done. But I mean, this before. is the, the the point is we did re- reduce our um, funds rate path in the median, and we did bring down our GDP forecast. But fundamentally, that's a that's a good outlook. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's growth is above trend. The unemployment rate is low, right? We think un- you know, we think labor markets conditions are going to remain strong. And we have inflation around 2%. Now, that's a modal forecast, right? These are the medians of yeah. forecast, right? There are risks out there. And so we are going to be looking at what the economy does, how it evolves, including what's going on in the financial markets indicators, right? We're going to look at what our business contacts are telling us, what labor market contacts are telling us, right? And we take all that information yeah. into account. Right. And do our analysis and and filter it. What is it telling us about the outlook? What was the modal forecast in, let's say, December 2007, looking at eight or nine? Now, uh, you know, a lot of people blame the Fed. They didn't see it. I didn't see it either. We, no one knew how that financial crisis would play out with these heavy leveraged key financial institutions. So tanking the economy. Right. But. You know, the truth of it is, very few of us are able to really see exactly. recessions. No, you're exactly right. And that's why it's important for us to assess what we're learning, right, from so you, both you the got, data you, and the context for the business people You think the Fed is going to be, is, is capable of being very flexible. If you start seeing bad economic data come in, do, do, would, would you, you wouldn't have any problem even... Um, lowering the funds rate if, if needed. Look, we're going to do what we think is the right policy for hitting our dual mandate goals and sustaining the expansion. And, you know, if, if you know, the material change in the outlook calls for a lower funds rate, we're, we're going to be able to do that. In terms of the sectors most responsive to the, the rate hikes, would you say 
the top and for the one slowing down, do you see any signs in housing as one of the sectors respond, you know, that responds to higher interest rates, impacts cost mortgages? Mm-hmm. I've also heard ha- um, cars and lend- some of the subprime autos is starting right. to show so, some So one of the reasons that you see that growth you know, in our forecast moving down a bit is because we have seen some softening in the interest rate sensitive sector. So my district is the fourth district, you know, we certainly have a stronger than um, in the rest of the country exposure to the auto industry. And we've heard, you know, from our business context, of course, and from the data that there's been a softening there. But even there, our contacts are not thinking that things are going to fall off sharply. It's basically a step down, right, from where things are. Certainly in the housing market, same thing, right? The interest rate, sec- it's interest rate um, sensitive. The increase in mortgage rates over the past year, about one percentage point, has affected that market. I don't think housing is going to be a big contributor to growth overall, um, but that's a step down again in, in where it was before. So it's it's it, you know we expect that's the way the transmission of monetary policy. And actually, will housing work. stocks were not so bad this last report. I mean, it was, well, exactly, it, it was People a little. The, 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 the single homes was a little weaker than the multifamily, but it right. was above expectations. Yeah, people were after, thinking it would it yeah. show through worse. So again, I, you know the 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 economic data itself is is relatively strong. Yeah, and it is the only place that I my own. Um, looking at is the business side, right? Business investment um, has been not as strong. There's some indication that it may pick up because it's, you know, basically orders and shipments. You know, the orders are a little bit better than shipments. But nonetheless, there's been softness there. But again, when I go in and talk to our board of directors and business contacts, they're all, you know, they cite um, uncertainties over trade policy and the global economy when they're thinking about next year. But very few of them have actually changed their capital spending plans. We did have one report of some some firms saying, well, I'm going to wait until some of the uncertainty resolves itself. But most of them are maintaining plans. And so, again, that's a more positive. So there's positive news out there as well as some of the softness. I think that – let me just really – this is somewhat in support of what you're saying and the Fed. Um, some of the key – uh, forecasters that I look at um, uh, were down uh, two weeks ago to a 2.1% rise in this quarter's GDP. Because of the stronger data that we've gotten in the last two or three weeks, they're up to 2.7, which is interesting, which is actually be- better than they were at the end of December, which was about 2.5. I mean, it's actually a little bit above some of the consensus, but they move quickly and they're very good. Uh, so the data that I was really worried about that jobless mm-hmm. claims data, mm-hmm. and it's come back down as far, you know, the jobless claims have come down again uh, of that. Uh, we had good retail sales data. Uh, we had decent housing data after the fall of the NAHB index, which does show sentiment maybe turning at this particular point, but it is from a very, very high level there. So in a way, we've sort of picked up from this quarter, the question is, is the, is the problems in the financial market, stock market, the, the, the spreads, the sentiment, the international, could they weigh enough on sentiment to tip it down in 2019? So I think that's when you're looking at the markets, one of the things I like to, the way I view it is, look, they are not, you know, we put down our modal forecast and put the risks around it. They're going to, you know, probably, you know, the tail 
tails there, right? There's a lot of things you can point to that are downside risk. And so I can imagine that their sentiment, right, they want to go into it being, you know, sort of cautious because of those downside risks. On the other hand, if those downside risks resolve in a positive way, right, and that that could easily happen as well, then, you know, you'll see a stronger reaction in the markets on the upside. So again, you know, when we're doing our forecasts, in my doing my own forecasts and Cleveland Fed staff does a forecast, we're always thinking about these longer run, what are the trends in the data telling us? And certainly we take into account what the market is telling us what moves in the market data are telling us. And we use that when we're doing our forecast. So we don't ignore that information, but we parse it in with all the other information we have. And frankly, a lot of the data um, suggests that the economy remains strong, although not as strong as this year, next year in the forecast. You know, we'll have a waning effect, well, probably a fiscal. 3.0, we may be above 3.0 Q4, Q4, actually. 3.1, maybe 3.2, and you're down to Two three, right. uh, I mean that's that's a that's a that's a right. big down, so that, downshift. Right, so I think that's part of of what's going on. We're transitioning to a bit slower, partly because fiscal policy effects um, won't be as strong as they were this year, and partly because we have had some increases in interest rates, and so those those things will um, partly. But remember, you know, three percent is not sustainable in the longer run. Right. I think it would be hard to sustain that in the long run. But we can talk about some of those aspects. After the FMC meeting, which has been a, a really lot being discussed, we talked a lot about the market reactions and the statements, Professor. Um, we haven't really hit on the balance sheet uh, yeah, part we of should. the statement. I think There's so much. Well, that's why we have another half hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Loretta, one of the things I think about, I and mean, if you guys talk, we talked about concerns about yield curve inversion and if people do worry that that's a risk part of like well we can keep the balance sheet rolling off to keep the pressure on the high end while we're raising the short end is that one of the reasons why we don't really see toning down the long end or is or is there a response maybe we should you know that's something to be thinking or about. turning down quantitative tightening qt instead of qe yeah. i so, mean as there's been some talk about what when, could that hit the fan next year i mean <laughs> so we announced you know a plan for our balance sheet um i guess almost you know year july ago. of last year. year and a half yeah and uh you know we've been sort of allowing redemptions to occur up to a certain level um, and so the balance sheet has been winding down slowly. Now, when we announced these plans for the balance sheet, we also said that if we needed to, right, if the funds rate, you know, our funds rate is our main tool of monetary Correct. policy, but if there was a turn in the economy and, 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 and we brought the funds rate down, we could adjust our balance sheet and use that tool. And in fact, all tools are on the table. So you're right in the sense that we've been leaving the balance sheet you know, gradually reducing the size of it and allowing redemptions to occur, right? And then when we're setting our interest rate, of course, we know that's happening. And so we adjust our interest rate, right, appropriately to hit our dual mandate goal. So it's not like these things are totally separate. Part of the economic environment we're in is the balance sheet is gradually reducing. That affects, right, the stance and perhaps but the transmission But isn't it amazing the how the long bond, I mean, I thought, I mean, think about next year. I mean, we have a trillion dollar deficit by the, the federal government. That's a trillion dollars of government debt. We have how much? 600 billion. No, they're not going to get rid of that much. How much are you going to get rid of next year uh, from the Fed tightening if you, if you keep it, a... 
50 for the year? No, on we treasuries. Have lim- lim- oh, for the treasuries. Uh, yeah, how much yeah. total treasury? Yeah, up to 12. Oh, in a year or a month? In the year. In the next year, year. So it would be 1220 120 but trillion. only and there's also the, mortgage but, but less than that it. by estimate right that would be the maximum we would allow off so 120 right that's the max we actually actually have also the social security trust fund beginning to sell bonds from its trust fund for the first time in 35 years right. i mean so there's all these forces here i'm one of the most shocked people ever to see you know the the long bond at 275 it was three and a quarter just a month and a half ago i mean I, I, I began to say, my God, is what what do they see? Um, we have seen. It's also surprised me uh, the the oil price collapse. Um, commodity prices are, are basically so off, and we know about the international situation. A couple of key countries showing declines. Um, uh, I, I I mean I, I I recognize that. You put a little phrase in there. We are monitoring the international. Although right. it was almost a two-sided phrase, I would have said we are. I would have preferred we are monitoring for a slowdown. It said, well, if it goes up or down, it was sort of again. There were certain words that looked like we're on this path, and uh, I guess that's what sort of, you know, sort of. What do we? Th- what did you think about the long bond being all the way down two seventy five? Well, I think it's reflective of what's happening in the financial markets as well. Sentiment has changed, right? The the markets are seeing a different outlook than the data is suggesting. And that's why I think we have to take on board, right, that perhaps they're inferring something about the economy that we're not seeing it in the data. But my own forecast is that the underlying fundamentals are, you know, pretty basically strong, right? So we're going to have to see. Now, there's a potential that if risk, you know, sentiment stays negative and people do, then that can feed into the real side of the economy, of course. And so that's something we have to monitor. So I think the phraseology was we want to monitor carefully what financial markets and the global economy situation is telling us about our own outlook. I was surprised. I mean, looking at the dot plot, that only two thought that uh, we should have kept the rates the same. And it's a well-advertised, too. Uh, we were talking before the meeting. I mean, James Bullard, President of St. Louis, and Neil Kashkari, President of Minneapolis, who've been, you know, widely spoken on that. Um, and I saw everyone else saying, yeah, that's a slam dunk. We're raising this term. It, it is true. Had you not, it would have surprised the market. Uh, generally, the Fed would come in with several speeches beforehand saying we're getting weaker data just to maybe prepare the market for so People th- thought of you as being sort of locked in on that. Um, James Bullard, I think he's going to be an active member of FOMC next year. Am I correct? 19, at least on my chart it is. I mean, it's, it's, I w- we didn't see any dissents. I thought maybe there might be one. Um, would, would he dissent on... I guess he has in the past. I mean, are we are we likely to see more dissents well, I'm not, on the? I can't on predict the, how any of my colleagues are going to vote no, or not but, but, vote on But you know, policy. from the discussion, I mean, right. how well, were, and, were they very I, strong? Was there a lot of discussion about, or was that just sort well, of considered? Uh, look, the way the FOMC meetings work, we all come in, you know, having brought in the information that we have in our districts, our own assessment of the national economy. And we, we have a very good discussion about what we're seeing out there, our interpretation of the, of the data and our, uh, the anecdotal information we get from a, a, a wide 
swath of, of contacts. And we use that to inform our policy decisions. And so that's the way FOMC meetings have worked since I've started going to them at the end of 2000 when I was a staffer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those discussions are very important. And, you know, we try to always come in, right, sort of being open to hearing what our colleagues are saying. We all have the same goals, which is, you know, the goals that Congress gave us, price stability and full employment or maximum employment. But we may have a different path for the funds rate depending on what we think is appropriate and what our forecast is. So, again, it's a it's a deliberative process. We assess conditions. We bring in the information that we have and our view of the economy. And then we deliberate um, to come up with a, a consensus on policy. If we were to get into recession, I mean, I'm wondering what you think tips us over. You know, is it, everybody says recessions, you know, we don't, economies don't die of old age, they're murdered, it's sort of the Fed gets too tight, but yeah. I wonder where it's going to roll over. I mean, certainly yeah. you see just in, on the markets, you th- see things like levered loans and high yield bond spreads, and all, you see some of these things going negative, right. but I'm just wondering what part right. of the economy will roll over, and you're, if, you're, if you're worried about something, right. what is it? Okay, so... Firstly, the reason recessions aren't really predictable is because there isn't a one thing will push you into a recession kind of thing. But there are risks out there, right? I think we've talked about several of them, and I think our statement from the last, you know, FOMC meeting put in, right? The global economy has slowed down a bit, right? That has a potential to affect the U.S. economy, so we, we care about it. The markets, much more volatility financial conditions have tightened, credit spreads are up, stock prices are down. Is that Are they seeing something in the fundamentals that are going to be a weaker yeah. economy than we're predicting in our modal forecast? Those are risks. I have been concerned about leverage lending. Um, you know, the, the, the levels are high and the underwriting conditions are weak in terms of, you know, there aren't covenants, mm-hmm. strong covenants in, in, the, in the new loans going out there. So that's a concern to me because that means that if there is a negative shock or the economy turns, there's going to be higher losses. But nothing of the magnitude of the subprime crisis. Is that correct? Not in my opinion. Yeah. But again, it's one of the things that could make a downturn. Mm-hmm. A little and how strong, much did the banks stronger. hold it, right? That was the thing that no, none of us saw was how much yeah. was on Well, the bank, bank I mean, on the side of the banking system, I think, you know, capital levels are higher. So the banking mm-hmm. system is, is, is in a and good, very good shape relative to where it was beforehand. But I think that's something that we certainly monitor much better than we did before in terms of, I think, we built up the apparatus at the FOMC to actually do the kind of analysis that, you know, and and the Fed just started putting out a financial stability report um, so that the public can see how we're monitoring some of the risks in the markets. And we try to look not only at the bank system, of course, but at the non-bank financial institutions and the whole market so that we kind of have a much better sense of what's going on there. But you always have to be vigilant. You always have to be looking further because as as, you know, it's hard to forget yeah. Um, people seem worried crisis. about European banks. Like that seems to be, and well, people say they have Europe's fingers behind us, and especially Italian. But yeah. even like the big German banks are. Under yeah. Pressure. So we certainly look at um, not only U.S. institutions but financial institutions abroad because you're exactly right. There, if things happen there, our exposures to them are going to be important. 
We don't have big exposures to the Italian banking system, but we certainly want to monitor them. And the way those things can work through, as we saw in the financial crisis, is if markets seize up, right, that can affect our institutions, even if there aren't direct connections to some of those. So it's certainly part of the landscape that we need to understand, right, when we're setting our monetary policy. And it's certainly something we're, we're now, I think, better equipped to understand than we were before. You know, obvious, this year was not too difficult for the Fed in the sense that the economy was basically strong, pretty much advertised a quarterly uh, increase. It was predicted December last year, and you guys did it uh, on schedule. Next, next year is going to be much tougher. Do you agree? I mean, you're, there's going to be a lot of decisions, yes or no. It's, it's oh, I not think, I think when we, we're back to sort of doing what I would say is really normal monetary policy in the sense of evaluating economic the old information. Normal. We yeah. are. I mean, in that sense, we have, you know, worked our way back to a normal way of looking at policy, which is, right, you can't pre-predict, right? You have to look at the data. You have to assess where the, what that data or changes in the data is telling you about your outlook. You have to assess the risk around that outlook, and then you have to set appropriate monetary policy. And I think that's kind of what people have forgotten going through what we went through is that's actually normal setting of monetary policy. I mean, you've been through, am I right, four chairman, Greenspan at the beginning, mm -hmm. then Bernanke, yep. then Janet Yellen, right. and now Jay Powell. Right. Um, Observer on some of that. Not, observer, not, not the, voting. Not, not, the, not, not, I, I understand there, but in, in the room. Yes. Um, how the differences in characterization by now coming to this, what you say, normal, every, every meeting debate about whether you're going to go up or down, how do you think that will roll out in the Powell years as opposed to some of the previous chairs? Yeah, so, I, you know, Jay is, is, is keeping the tradition of, of listening to the people around the table. Um, I think he... Which Janet did too, right? Yeah, yeah. The, I think there's been a tradition over uh, you know, over Greenspan time. probably the strongest in terms of coming in with an well, idea? Well, one thing that Ben did was he changed the, the order of some of the discussion, which I think had an effect on, on how the meetings were, mm -hmm. were going. But, you know, it's always hard to do these evaluations because the when, economy when you say was order, very what do you mean? So in that. other words, right, um, ben, what Ben did was instead of leading with here's where I think... Okay. The economy is. Here's where I think policy is. He heard the discussion around the table. I see. And he was incredibly able, which I found, um, to actually summarize that discussion. You know, <laughs> so he'd summarize the discussion and then he'd say, but here's how I'm thinking about it. Or, you know, here's my view as well. Or let me add something I think that, that is a good change because otherwise if the chairman gives his or her first, you sort of say, well, should I contradict the chairman up there? Yeah, so I think it was a change <laughs> that really changed sort of the kinds of discussions we have at FOMC because people do, you know, talk more, you know, is that or comment been on carry through on the power? And, yeah, and so that's been, and Janet did the same thing and, and Jay is doing that. So in that sense, when I say, you know, we come in sort of like, where we think policy is, but we listen to what other people are saying. I'm telling you really how I approach it, and mm -hmm. I think a lot of my colleagues would say exactly the same thing. We really want to have that discussion, and we want to hear what our colleagues are saying. It was said, you know, we're talking about the wording in, in a statement that basically, and, and I, I've never been in there, but that Greenspan would present what he thought was the wording. You would have a discussion. There would be some changes that there. Um, how do you get to these 
change? Is there some discussion and then consensus that goes up on the board? Uh, um, I mean, you have to decide yeah, so, in two days. So How again, the discussion you know, feeds into what we're going to say in the state. So we talk about the statement, obviously, because Fed communications are incredibly important. important. Right. Um, for how policy is implemented, the effect of the policy. So it really is important. It's one of, and I really care about the kind of communications that we, we have. So we, you could argue that perhaps, you know, changing a word here or there isn't, isn't a proper way to communicate. But we're, we are with the statement and we're trying to do our best and trying to communicate the stance of policy. Well, that, now why, we have the press conferences. Yeah, so every little which word I think gets, yeah are going to be helpful and Jay Powell is going to be doing them after each Yeah, meeting. I wanted to ask you about that. How what prompted that? Mm-hmm. That surprised me. Uh, was there any particular thing that prompted now, some people interpret it as as that making every meeting a quote live meeting we could change. I think that's not really true. You could change anyways whether it was a press conference or not. Um, what what prompted that? So uh, I think change? it's just the evolution that the Fed is and the FOMC has gone through for quite a while, long time to try to be as transparent as we can about monetary policy, the way we deliberate, the the factors we're looking at, so that people really understand how policy is met is made. And I think you know Jay feels comfortable in those venues. I think he felt that this would be an addition to the tools that we've been using or the, the, the journey we've been on to try to improve our communications. And so he's, he thought that this would be a good thing for him to, to add to the, to the quiver, as you will, in terms of incru- improving our transparency. Someone pointed out that uh, Jay's answers are 50% shorter than Janet's <laughs> answers to the, <laughs> to the questions in the meeting yeah. file. He yeah. is well, to the well, point. After the reaction, people were joking online that we really want a press conference every meeting. Is what <laughs> yeah. right. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I no, yeah. it's, it's great. I mean, there are different yeah. styles, yeah. of course. You know, everyone. Of course, their the ECB background. has started the tradition of the conference after every meeting, and I think right. they're every month, aren't they? So they even have more. I um, mean, so that you know, in a way, the, you know, uh, going to every meeting that was actually following one of the few things that followed the ECB. Right. Everyone else sort of followed us, but that was one of the particular yeah. things. Yeah. On the big picture, on the economic data, since they are so focused on the economic data, on the unemployment rate, when we talked about it being fifty-year lows, and I mean, do you have a sense how low we can go? And then you've always said below three and a half, you're going to get more wage pressures. And I've, starting I've to looked get and that. said three and a half seems to be really be a pressure point historically in the post World War II period. I mean, mm-hmm. we're you know we're not far. I mean, actually, it was almost three six five in that last one. Um, yeah, we should. What, did, is there some point where it, it would be amazing that we didn't really get those wage pressures? Well, I think this is what everyone's struggling with. Is like the flat, you know, you heard yeah, it at the yeah, Phillips f- curve f- being f- flat, f- right? Is that, I mean, I, you know, I've been somewhat surprised that we haven't seen more wage, yeah. not more wage pressure, but more price pressure coming from, you know, the strength in the labor market. But I fed that into my forecast, right? Now I think, okay, you know, inflation isn't going to be as strong. And so you can have a, be more patient in how you're moving interest rates, Do you remember just a few years, under Bernanke, you set 6.5% when you had a state contingent monetary policy and all mm-hmm. that discussion when it was 
six and a half percent, right. we begin to worry. Six and a half right. percent, we right. look at that now, right. worry about it. I mean, we're at right. 3.7, right. it doesn't seem right. to... Pr- but I, I mean, also how think, can we be so far off on no, that? No, but I all, but because we're basing our, our views on history and models, right? right? And the world may be different. The economy may be acting different now. We're in a case where inflation expectations have been remarkably stable. And James Moore thinks the flatness is partly due to those stationary inflation no, expectations. No, and I think that's a, I think there's I think truth that's to true that. Because one of the things you got to remember during the financial crisis and during the Great Recession early on, the surprise there was that we didn't have lower inflation or even, you know, deflation, right? That was the surprise then, right? Mm. And that's stable. That's what's, why it's so important that we maintain Right. That the Fed our would pump it up, in other words, they wouldn't let a real deflation right. start. Right. So that's really important. So that's why we're focusing on inflation expectations, I think, is the right thing to be doing, because you may be able to have lower unemployment than you had in the past because of that stability. So, again, I think that's one of the things all economists are, are working at. You don't want to throw away the history, right? When we overheat, Usually the outcome is not a good one. And so we want to make sure we're so balancing I'm just thinking maybe, both you know, parts of our dual mandate. Hey, maybe we should just say three, uh, you know, U-star, which is natural rate unemployment, maybe 3.8 now or 3.9. And we're just barely, we're just barely below it. I mean, uh, what, what do you think? I mean, give, in, in, might that, might we over time see that coming down? We saw it to come down one-tenth, as but I mentioned. But I think that's why focusing on our dual mandate goals is the right way to do it. There are these unknown our star, right? We make estimates of them. We vary in our estimates on that. We know there's big error bands when we're estimating things. U star, another one of these constructs, mm. right? The economy and how it evolves is going to tell us, right? We're going to know if we're at neutral, how? We're going to know because we're at our dual mandate goals. Inflation has not moved beyond too far beyond 2%. We're there. And unemployment is wherever unemployment is, and we're going to be able to maintain strong labor markets, and growth is going to slow to what we think is, you know, the normal, you know, average trend growth. And so, again, the economy, I think, is going to tell us, right, where we, we want to go. Now, that sounds easy, but it's not, of course, because you have to be forward-looking. You have to look where, where what's your forecast and what the risks around the forecast. But I think we're at a point now where that's how policymaking is going to have to be, and that's normal policymaking. Let, let me uh, go a little bit to the longer run, uh, because this is so you know really important for real wages going forward and trends in the economy. Um, we always used to think in full, you know long run GDP growth was three, three and a half. Uh, we, you did mark it up one tenth on the median from one eight to one nine. This is way below, and and we know the labor force has slowed down. We know that's one of the sources, but there's been this tremendous collapse in measured productivity. So mm-hmm. Do you? We've had discussions here. You remember Leonard Nakamura mm-hmm. from the? You know, he's been the guy. He said we are mismeasuring right. the amount of deflation. That real growth is actually higher. Do you think there's some truth mm-hmm. to that, or? Is this a productivity shift downward? What, so, what do you uh, think this yeah, source is? Yeah, so the are? work I've seen, obviously, there is some mismeasurement um, of you know productivity, but a lot of it is a real slowdown in productivity growth. And do we know why? Um, and I part of it was we didn't capital; you know, it was in the capital side with being weak. Um, some argue that we haven't really gotten the gains out of some of the 
technological advances Mm -hmm. that we've seen, which is possible. I'm not a real pessimist on growth. I mean, my my, uh, Y star or potential growth rate is 2% actually. It's a little higher. Um, So it's a little higher. But nonetheless, I think, you know, demographics feed into productivity growth. It feeds into sort of long-run growth. And so you have to take that on board and say, you know, okay. But I want to point out, right, if you look at the range of estimates – Right. The mm-hmm. low end went down, but the high end went, you know, went the low end went up and the high end went down. So the median can move by one tenth. Right. And it's Probably not really the, meaningful. In yeah, any that's right. Sense. Um, because because you're basically rounded to that. Uh, yeah. that definitely. Uh, I'm yeah. wondering if we fast forward to March and you said everything was here today. Is a pause in March or <laughs> okay. how? Do so you think I don't about like to pause? like predict, you know, where <laughs> policy is necessarily going to go. I can tell you we're going to be and hey, I'm mean, certainly January is a meeting. Going to it's be a live meeting before March. Right? Yeah. I'm going to be monitoring all the incoming information from now through the next meeting, through the next meetings, and then look at what I think is appropriate to do given our dual mandate um, goals. So So you're not one of these people, the stock market be damned. Some people thought that Powell was sort of saying, yeah, markets fluctuate. That's not really informing us. Uh, or there was a little bit of a, of no, a sentiment I, my, about you know, I that. Think, I think my you know, view is, look, I think they're telling us something. You know, I also realize that markets can move and they're volatile. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, is it going to be sustained right down? And will that inform? Is that telling us something about the fundamentals right now? I think the fundamentals look still good. Strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and strong. And so, but I certainly am going to take that on board. And we've had tightening in financial conditions that, of course, feeds into. What's where your we estimate of the uh, monthly labor market payroll net increase that's consistent with stable unemployment? Okay. I can tell you the long run estimates that are out there are between 75,000 and 120,000. Correct. Jobs. I say 100 as an average. But. Okay. All right. Is that, so is, that is that pretty much? Okay. Is that the goal of the okay. Fed? Would we, we hit one fifty? Do you want no, to move I, it down think, to that? I, think, I mean, I squeeze that enough I, to move I it think down. If you look at our long run goal statement of strategy, yeah. right? We're very careful not to put a number on that because that we don't have a number to put on that. That is determined is that by like the a underlying. Or no, it's it's determined by the underlying. Um, fundamentals in the economy, right? And so I think what we're gonna, what I do is I I say, okay, given what I know about the economy, I would have thought inflation would have picked up more strongly than it has, given where unemployment is. That suggests that maybe you know we can have more room in there than the past estimates tell yeah, us. That, was, 30 her, seconds that was her final thought. This is our final <laughs> countdown. Loretta, thank you so much for coming after the FOMC wow. meeting. What a great week to have you here, Professor. I wish I got more of your reaction. Uh, we'll, we'll have to get it in the New Year because we're on the holiday well, next Well, pretty week. much got my reaction to discussion, Loretta. Uh, but and, and we, we really do appreciate you coming here. It really is uh, uh, informing to us. Thank been, you very much. You've been listening to Behind the Markets on Sirius XM 132. Have a great holidays, everybody. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.